The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here with us today. Um, Congratulations to the class of 2023. My daughter graduates this year, our third one, third child, not third daughter. First daughter out of three. It's been like this year, my class will celebrate its 35th anniversary of graduation. I was like, 35 years? Remember, my mom and dad would talk about, they went to school, I think, in the 50s. I don't remember, but sounded like a century before I was going to uh, graduate. Like, sounded like so long ago they went to school. And then, here I am, and uh, it's like, man, it feels like just the other day that, that was, I was hanging out with my friends. Somebody after the first ser- service told me, he said, you did graduate in the last century, bro. <laughs> so, and I said, no, I didn't graduate at all. I quit my sophomore year. But anyway... <laughs> I still have a connection with my, um, uh, my, my friends, uh, and they still connect with me and, and keep up with me, and so that's pretty cool. These are some critical years. I want to address this class, um, and those of you uh, who are kind of in this stage of life, even if you're not going on to college, what, what you're going to do with your life, I remember this um, period of my life very well, and again, uh, you'll understand when you get... Uh, to my age or, or your, you know, other people, your parents, you'll understand in a few years, wow, it's fast. And it seems like every year that goes by, the next year goes faster. Uh, and that's crazy how things can uh, slip away from you. I read a really influential book um, during that period of time in my life. Uh, it was called Life on the Edge by Dr. James Dobson. It's a great book. Um, because it talks about you're going to make decisions right now um, in the next six years. From 16 to 26, you'll make decisions uh, that shape the next 60 years of your life. Now, I'm not making decisions like that. I don't have 60 years of life left. Uh, so those decisions were made for me a long time ago. And those of you who are living in this critical decade between 16 and 26, that's kind of where you're at. And those of you who just graduated, man, those decisions are uh, right around the corner. And so I want to encourage you and drop a few nuggets of wisdom on you uh, along the way that I have learned. Um, and hopefully they will help you. I will say that if you're here and you're between the ages of 16 and 26, if you'll send me an email, you can get your phone out and email me right now, as long as you put it back up after you email me. And just say, hey, man, I'd like one of those books. And give me your address, and I'll make sure you get a copy of that book uh, to keep in your library and hopefully read, and it'll, it'll help you as much as it helped me. A really, really uh, important time in your life. Again, making decisions is going to shape who you are uh, for the next 60 years. But we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, looking at verses 12 and 13. Now, I'm going to address the graduate class, okay? And so, uh, but it's for all of us. Everything we learn today is going to apply to all of us. And so just uh, take it in and 
Uh, utilize it, even if you didn't use it back when you were there. Don't get all beat up and go, oh, man, we really blew it. That's what's wrong with me now. No, that's not the objective. The objective is to, is to send these guys off with a, a, a good uh, vision of what they should be looking forward to and also for us to be applying the same principles to our lives today. But Paul starts to the letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, but we... Uh, and in, in not that starts a letter, but in chapter five, he says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with uh, one another and we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. So I want to pause and just say something here about this text. Um, Paul is like, man, you guys, like, be, encourage those people who work in the ministry, who are, are shepherding your, um, your spiritual lives and and the Lord has placed them over you in this phase of your life. And so I think he's describing people like myself um, and people in you know, ministry positions uh, or in leadership positions who are helping to grow other people. And what I want to say is like, he says, man, appreciate them and esteem them. I, do you guys do that, man? Like, I feel so appreciated as the pastor of this church. Um, I feel like you esteem me. Um, I feel like when I speak truth into your life, you receive it and you, uh, you, you take it, you, you take care of my family. I'm able to uh, make a nice salary here pa- pastoring the church. And so I just want to pause and say, man, good job, church. I really appreciate you appreciating me and you make me feel that way. And that is a joy to serve in ministry like that. So I want to thank you for that. And then We'll turn our attention back to the, the words of, uh, of truth that um, the Lord has us for today. So here's the, here's the first nugget of wisdom for you guys. Surround yourself with people who know and love the word. That's, that's the first thing, man. Like you, you got to find yourself some faithful people that you can spend some time with. Now, especially those of you who in the next few months will go off to school, maybe you're going to school out of state. We've, we've got seniors here, I know, um, that are graduating today out of West. That's where my daughter goes. And, and uh, so her best friend is going to Baylor. <laughs> Pray for her. The Lord is sending her all the way down into Hades. Uh, no, I love Texas. I just don't like the Longhorn program. I'm a Sooner, so like, I, you know, we got that feud there, but Ellie's going to Baylor. My daughter's going to a, a small Christian school in um, Oklahoma called Oklahoma Baptist University. Uh, Corey, I think, is going to Wichita State. Anyway, people, I don't know. There's other people. Then we got people in, um, you know, we got students all over, I'm sure, represented. I don't know everyone. And so just uh, some of you that are going off, Like, what you got to do is look for some people that know and love the Lord. Now, depending on where you decide to go to school, even even faith is going to a Christian college that's smaller. Man, listen, I've been to a really small Christian college, and not everybody there knows and loves the Word, okay? And that's just the way it is. And certainly at Baylor, not everybody knows and loves the Word, right? 
Um, it's just the truth. And if you're going to a secular university, it's even going to be more difficult. And you got to be intentional with seeking out some people in your life that you know they know the word and they love the word. Because you're going to have, it's easy to make relationships with people who don't know the word and don't love the word. They're everywhere. Um, and so all of us need to be really intentional about finding some people that we can surround ourselves with um, that know and love the word. And our, our, our chances of success will significantly increase if we will do that. And I would say to you, like, you're going to go off in a few months, those of you who are going off to school, and, and you're going to be looking at, man, they're, they're going to have all kinds of things going on that first week for freshmen, like um, all that stuff that happens at, at school, you know, orientation and, and meeting, you know, finding your way around the campus and meeting all these new people and deciding which groups you're going to be a part of. And man, it's just, it's just going 900 miles an hour and all these things are flying at you. Let me tell you one of the most important decisions decisions you're going to make that week and you need to make and make intentionally is where are you going to go to church Sunday? If you don't go that Sunday, it's going to be easier not to go the next Sunday. And then it's going to be easier to go the next Sunday. You're going to be like, well, I'm so busy. I'll make that decision later. That's a foolish way to approach things in life. It's a foolish way for those of us who are adults and we're already beyond this um, decade. And, and maybe we get transferred to a, um, a different state. Uh, the company we work for relocates us. One of the first things we'll do is we'll get on with Google. What are the schools like? What are the sports programs that are available for my kids? Where, where should I pick a house to live in. And the last thing we look at and we wait until we get there is, is, are there any good churches in the area? Is there a place that teaches the word? Or is this a place where I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to have a terrible time finding a place to develop myself and be around other people that know and love the word? When it's the most important decision we could possibly make about relocating anywhere. And so I would say to you students that are embarking on that journey, man, you need to like put on your to-do list. I'm going to seek out the top five churches that I want to visit in this area. And I'm going to go and I'm going to find me a place and do not put that has great worship. Do not put that has a great college program with a lot of single hot dudes and girls. Put a, is there a preacher in there that preaches the word of God and teaches from the Bible? That's number one. All that other stuff can take care of itself. Because the last thing that you need is a, a, a really nice looking young man who believes a watered-down version of Christianity, man. That's a, that's a terrible recipe. What's uh, well, that old song? It said, I never met the devil. Um, he says, it's an old country song. He said, I, I've never met the devil, but I'm pretty sure he's wearing blue eyes and blue jeans. Like, like he has blue eyes. You remember that song? The devil always looks good anyway. That's a sidebar. Uh, we'll get into that here in a minute. <laughs> and so you gotta, you got to be intentional with your relationships and find you a place that you can plug into in a ministry um, that teaches and preaches the word. Here's the second takeaway. Develop authentic relationships. Um, now, Paul says to this, these Thessalonican, Thessalonican brothers and sisters, he says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. And so develop authentic relationships. I'm not talking about acquaintances. 
I'm talking about real, deep, authentic relationships. It's, it's easy to have acquaintances. You, we've got, they're everywhere. And we, we will meet a lot of people that are a lot of fun to hang around with. But authentic relationships require some depth and they need to be fun. Otherwise, we won't invest in them. And so some people we enjoy um, that we can be authentic with. And so what are the marks of an authentic relationship? Well, according to this, um, uh, we need admonishment. And so we need to be able to receive correction from somebody we're in an authentic relationship with without getting upset with them. And, and, and when wisdom receives some correction from them, we also need to be able to give correction. That's what an authentic relationship um, should look like. But not only that, it should have some encouragement. Um, and we all need encouragement. We need to give encouragement and we need to receive encouragement. I have an aunt um, that we always go see. Uh, we have this big uh, family reunion with my closest uh, relatives and first cousins and such. And we, my grew up there, my dad's sisters, they were like, um, I don't know, they felt like second parents to me. We're really tight family. And what a blessing it was to grow up in that environment. But my aunt Catherine, we named kind of picked Caitlin's name to be associated with uh, that a little bit. We, we wanted to go with Caitlin. It was kind of a form of Catherine. But man, my, my Aunt Catherine, you go see, you, you, I don't even care if you know, don't know her. Like if you just know her a little bit, you, you walk in and she, the first thing that she says when you walk into her house is, hi, <laughs> right? You look so good. How's my handsome nephew? Oh my goodness. You look like you've lost weight. You're like, I love this woman. She's my favorite person in the world, right? Uh, and so she's got such a gift of encouragement, and, and she does that. I can tell she does that with my kids and with everybody. And, and so we need that, man. We need relationships where we're encouraging one another. We're giving encouragement. We're receiving encouragement, especially if we're going to be getting some admonishment from one another. There needs to be balance with some encouragement. Then he goes on and he says uh, uh, that uh, help people who are weak and so so an authentic relationship has some weakness in it. What does that mean? It means that we can be weak with these people. We don't always have to be on our game. And you, there are some people that you, you, you go and hang out with and you're like, man, I, I got to make sure everything's right. I, um, I got to look right. I got to be dressed right. I got to be on my game. I got to say the right things. I got to do the right things because they might reject me. That, I can't be weak with that person. I'm still trying to win their approval. That's not an authentic relationship and it's worthless, Right? You need relationships where you can be down and so they can pour some encouragement in you and you're not afraid to be down around them and, and they're not a be afraid to be down around you and they, they will help you in those moments and then uh, authentic relationships need patience, right? Need patience because you're gonna run into difficult things and you gotta be patient with people and um, regardless of the circumstance and that's why the local church is so important because it's a place where you can find that. There's not a lot of places where you can go, where can I find me some authentic relationships where the people will encourage me and they will admonish me and allow me to admonish them and they'll, they'll help me in my weakness and I can help them and they'll be patient with me. And where do you go and get that? Like the local church, 
That's what a local church is about. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Why can we do it so quickly in a local church as compared to any other? Because it takes years to develop that kind of relationship. Yet in the local church, if the Bible is being taught and followed, you go in there and men, people are, are filled with the Holy Spirit and they love the Lord and they're walking in that, you immediately have a kindred spirit. You immediately have a, a respect for the word of God because you've surrounded yourself with, a, with a, a, a people that that love and know the word of God. And so they're all, we're all on the same page. The authority is the word. It's not me. It's not you. It is the word. And so when someone speaks the word into me, I can receive that admonishment because it's not really coming from them. They're just the body of Christ that is being used as the mouth of God to speak some life into me. And Paul says, speak the truth and love to one another. And I can receive that. And so that's why the local church is such an important place. And people say, man, I can worship the Lord without being a part of the church. No, you can't. You are part of the church. You, you, it, once, you, once you meet the Lord, you are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is, says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because we can develop deep, healthy, authentic relationships where we can admonish each other and help each other and encourage each other and be patient with one another. And as the world looks at us loving each other uh, outside of what it knows with a divine love and agape love that is carrying us along, they're like, I need that. I need that. And that's where, where it happens is in the local church. And so I'd say um, surround yourself with people who know and love the word, develop authentic relationships. And then he says here, you know, um, to appreciate those who, and I'm going back to that for, the first verse, uh, who labor among you and who have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And so that's kind of my role in your life as a pastor is to uh, give some instruction. So I'm going to shift gears here and give you a little instruction, if you will allow me. And uh, I would say to you, um, in this section, is make wise decisions. Make wise decisions. Again, the decisions that you're going to make in the next few years are going to shape the trajectory of the next 60 years. The decisions you make in the next few years, these next couple of decisions that I'm going to talk about, um, they, they will impact you significantly. And so uh, you may not be sure what you want to do, uh, what, what your profession is going to be. And that's totally okay. As a matter of fact, you may feel pressure, those of you going off to school, and you're like, um, I, I'm just going to pick a major and go. That's okay too. I would say just the first couple of years of your um, uh, experience in school as you leave home, just, just pick classes that will go to a bunch of different degrees because the chances are you're going to be in one program and by the time you finish your sophomore year, you're going to be like, I think I want to do this. I don't want to do that. Unless you know specifically that the Lord um, has placed a calling on your life, you'll, you'll wrestle a little bit about what, what you want to do. And so if you'll keep your, your classes and your preparation right now a little bit generic, you got time to sort of continue to spread um, your wings and, and figure things out and, and, and figure out, you know, what do I want to do with my life? Um, but as you make this decision, don't make it about money. Don't go, oh, what, what, what are the jobs that are going to be out there in the next 10 years that I can make the most money at? That, that's, that's a foolish way to make the decision. What you need to do is you go, what are the jobs out there in the next 10 years that I think I would really like to do? 
I would really enjoy that. I could wake up and I could look forward to going to work and go, man, that's what I want to do um, with, with my time. Because it doesn't matter if you make a lot of money, if you hate what you do, what difference does it make? Like, cause see, here's what a job is. A job is you're taking a portion of your life, a significant portion, and you're trading it for dollars. You're saying, here's my life. You can have this much of my life if you give me this much money. And so that way, you're, what you're going to do with that much of your life, which is a significant portion of it, most of our lives we spend working, you ought to pick something that you really would enjoy to do. And then I would say uh, on top of that is make sure it's something you have the ability to do, okay? There are some things you think you might really enjoy. Like you might think you really would enjoy being a, a surgeon, maybe a brain surgeon. Or I really would like that. But you're not very good with scissors right now. <laughs> Don't pick that, right? Like, uh, like if this is something you're not good at. You probably ought to be looking at something else, you know, maybe a veterinarian or something. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> choose something you can make a living doing, right? You don't need to get rich, but you do need to have food. You got to eat and you want to at least make enough money to where you're not having like, I, Faith, make enough money. You're not, I'm calling you and asking for money. You're not calling me. You're my retirement plan. So, like, uh, I've told all my kids, I said, listen, one of you better land a good job, and you better, like, really do well. Otherwise, all of you need to put a 50-amp circuit in the driveway for your, my RV, because it's coming, right? And No, it's not really. But, uh, so anyway, like, choose something that uh, uh, you like to do, choose something you can make a little money at, and then uh, choose something that the Lord approves of. Like, make sure you choose something. You look at the Lord and go, yeah, man, like, the Lord's all, he would like that. Um, he'd, be, he'd be involved in that. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in ministry. It just means that it's, it's good work that the Lord is honorable and, and it helps people, you know, it's for the good of, of mankind. And, and so as you, if you can take all of those things, man, and get them to line up, you it's an, it's an incredible experience. You'll, you'll get paid and you'll feel like you don't have a job. I, I've been working really hard for the last 30 years of my life and I've never felt like I had a job except when I was between ministries. Like, because I was doing something I just didn't love to do and I made good money at it and had the potential to make even more money at it, but it wasn't what I loved doing. And so I, I was just like, the only thing I could really do is ministry because that's what I love to do. Now I could go into something else and say, man, I could make a lot more money. Sure, but who cares? I'm very satisfied. I enjoy what I do and I feel like I don't have a job and that is a very rewarding place to be. And I would encourage you, if you think through these decisions that you're navigating through right now, it's a very healthy way uh, for you to be wise. Now, here's the second one that is a major decision you're liable, likely to make in the next um, six to eight years. And that's who you're going to marry. Okay? And um, you got to really be careful with this decision. Don't marry the person that you think you can live with Marry the person that you think you can't live without. Like, um, 
like just you, you have to understand that if there's something intolerable about a person, you are not changing them. You say, well, I can change that. No, you won't. As a matter of fact, you will have a greater opportunity to change it before you marry them. After you're married, that thing is set in concrete. It's not changing. Um, and you, it doesn't matter how persuasive you are. This guy's wired. So if there's something about a person that like, you're, you can't tolerate, then you don't marry that person. You say, well, what if I don't find some other person? You'd be better off being lonely than being miserable with a person you can't tolerate. Because then you're going to go through like an expensive separation and divorce. And it's like, you just, just use your head when you make these decisions. Um, and people who've walked through that will tell you, man, um, that if you, you, you want to make the right decision on who it is you're going to marry. And, and it, could be, um, it could be frightening. Um, don't be impulsive. <laughs> don't date somebody and go like, oh, this is the one. He's so dreamy, Dad, I know. This is the one. Do not call me and tell me in two weeks you're getting married, Faith. Do not. <laughs> because dating, dating is designed to hide things. It's designed to conceal things from one another. And so we need to take a little time and figure out. And I would say we don't need to take too much time. We also don't need to, to date someone for five years. That's ridiculous. That's what, that'll get you in a mess. Man, I'm telling you, you, you can have, I think, I think you could have it dialed in. You could have the decision dialed in whether this relationship should continue to go on or be stopped at six weeks. Uh, I date a girl six weeks and I would know there's one of two things going to happen at the end of the, like what, by, by the time we start approaching six weeks, I'm either going to go too far with this girl and get myself emotionally tied to her, or I need to break up with her. And that's what, that happens. Like You can't stay with a person very long, or you're going to get so deeply physically involved with them that it's going to be emotionally involved, and you're going to carry all of the baggage. And you already know at six weeks, you just didn't have the courage to think that the Lord would bring you the right person, and you're afraid of being alone. Man, the Lord will bring you the right person. I mean, you're talking to a guy like, like if the, my, one of my greatest fears during this decade of my life was who I would marry. And, and I was scared, like, and I started dating girls, but I knew, man, six weeks, like, this is it. Like, I can't, like, well, I'm either going to go too far with this girl and compromise my, my uh, convictions for the Lord, or I need to end the relationship. And so I did end the relationship. And finally, I got frustrated and thought, man, like, what am I going to do? I, there's nobody, there's nobody that I can tolerate, <laughs> right? It's too picky. And I just gave it to the Lord and I prayed. I went to a church, man, the church is smaller than this church. No college kids in it whatsoever. And so like, I'm still giving it to the Lord. And then one September, man, this bus rolls in and the preacher's nephew shows up with 17 students. And 75% of them were girls. And Abby was in the group, man. And I saw her that night and uh, Mary, like we'd started dating and, and I just, you know, that just, it just took some, like that one went past six weeks and we didn't go too far. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Uh, so don't, uh, so I would say this, marry someone who's stronger in their faith than you are or as strong. 
The Bible says in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians six fourteen, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do uh, righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Like don't don't yoke up with someone who isn't like minded in their worldview as a Christian, like you are, because you think, well, they'll start getting serious later. No, they won't. What will happen is you will have kids later. You're going to start wanting to be a part of the things of the kingdom. They're going to be like, I didn't sign up for that. That's not what I do. I like to fish and hunt on the weekend. And you're going to get into a battle with this and you're going to be really unhappy. I see it happen all the time. Now, fortunately, the Lord can move and and people can get um, saved later. But why in the world would you sign up for that willingly? When the Bible says specifically, don't do it. Like pick somebody who can, uh, who's following the Lord and has their eyes on the Lord like you do. It's just a foolish decision um, to uh, make before uh, you, you get married. It's just, don't even date anybody like that. Like take the temptation completely out of the equation. And here's another one, not very popular, but don't move in with a person before you get married. You don't need to. And I would say this, <laughs> don't have sex before you're married. And then when you get married, have as much sex as you want, Right? <laughs> It's a great plan. You say, well, well, what if the sex is not good? Are you kidding me? Like, this is the easiest thing the Lord has given us. The most pleasurable thing is the gift of sex that he's given us. And it, like, that is not going to be a problem. It is just not going to be a problem at all. Is he talking about sex? Yes, I'm talking about sex because the Lord created it and the world has screwed it all up. Okay, so like the best thing you can do, and I, again, if you say, wow, I've already, been, I've already crossed over. I, listen, you just confess and stop, okay? You can stop. You say, how do you know? Because I, I stopped. And I abstained from the time that I was uh, 22 until I married Abby at, at 20, almost 26. And that's why we moved the wedding date up, right? <laughs> like I was tired of abstaining. <laughs> I told my kids, I said, I had a sex talk with them, with Joel, Jonah, and Faith, and I was like, hey, I said, they're teaching you about this at school. I said, I don't care if you go and listen. I said, but here's, the, here's what safe sex is. Don't have sex until you get married. And then once you get married, have all the sex you want. I said, that's what me and your mom did. <laughs> and Joel, he's like, is that why the door is locked sometimes? <laughs> That's exactly right. And they quit knocking on our door at that point in time. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so that, that is a wise decision to, for you to make because so why is it so important? Because when you cross that line, like that, that, that you, you connect with a person at a very deep level. And once you make that emotional connection with that person, and if you, if you rush that and it happens too soon, man, all of these other connections that you're supposed to make, I should say, once you make that physical connection with that person, before you make these emotional connections and, and this commitment to one another, it can really cause some problems down the road. And so I would just encourage you, if you want to make a wise decision, um, wait, wait. And I'll tell you, here's why this, this is so important is that when you fall in love with someone um, and, and you make that commitment to them, 
Man, it's this really special time. Uh, some of you may be in it right now, and you're, you're just like you've got your eyes out in the future, and you, you're experiencing these feelings that you have for this person, and you're excited about starting life out, and, and you get married. What you can't see is the stuff that's going to fly out of nowhere, and it's going to hit you, and you, you didn't know it was going to come, and and you're going to go through trials that you didn't know, were never expecting. You could never visualize. You could never prepare for because they come out of nowhere. And, and man, that decision of who you choose to spend your life with, if you make a wise decision, I, I'm, man, I love Abby and I loved her. When I saw her, I thought, man, she's beautiful. And the, the more that I got to know her, the more that I um, um, appreciated and loved about her and and so by the time we uh, finally got married after dating a year or so, it's like, I think we dated a couple years, and I think we dated 10 years, Faith. <laughs> no, we dated 10 <laughs> No, we did. We did we, we, so we, we got married, and, and I loved her. The, the love that I have for her today is so much deeper than the love that I had for her like 25 years ago. And the reason is because we have walked through pain. Um, we have walked through things that, you know, some of it we had nothing to do with. It came out of nowhere. And so, some of it has been self-inflicted. And because of our ability to navigate through that, because we made a wise decision in the beginning, I'm telling you, man, the depth of our relationship I could never dream of knowing a person that intimately, knowing a person that well and caring for a person in, in such a different way. And, and so like your relationship just continues to evolve as you navigate through different things. That's why it's such an important um, decision. And once you make it, you want to just take... Just don't make it with divorce as an option. Just take that off the table. That way you'll weigh the decision really um, carefully. And again, for those of you who've gone through divorce, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up. What I'm trying to do is get you young people. Anybody who's been divorced would tell you to listen to what I'm saying. There's no such thing as a, as a oh yeah, I got divorced. I just loved it. It doesn't happen. Like it's painful for everyone. Um, and so like you want to avoid that at all costs and don't go into a relationship thinking, well, that's, that's, that, that's what I'll do if it doesn't work out. It's very unwise and foolish thing to do. Okay, so make wise decisions. And here's the last one. Be optimistic. First, um, chapter, I think it's chapter five, verse 16. Paul says, rejoice always. <laughs> now, believers have experienced the greatest thing on the planet, and we ought to be able to maintain the most positive attitude. Like there ought to be anybody that's more optimistic on the planet than a believer who's met Christ. And it's perplexing to me that some people who, are, who say they're believers, they look like a bulldog who's been baptized in lemon juice. Just unhappy. <laughs> like what is wrong with you? Do you know that Jesus really did rise from the dead? 
He really did. Like, that's something to be happy about. Doesn't matter how bad things are in your life, you can always think about who Christ is, what he did, and how he moved in your life. And if you hold on to that, man, you, you be optimistic about, man, my life is forever changed. All the sin that I'm guilty of has been forgiven. And, and there are reasons to be optimistic in life. And there are a few people, like, we could look at success and negativity. They, they don't mix. Like, they didn't mix for Eliab. You know who Eliab is? Anybody? Were you in first service? Oh, okay. I want to make sure you weren't cheating. Who's Eliab? <laughs> who is Eliab? Ah, no, it's, it's David's older brother. Yeah. And so... Who knows who David is? King David. Well, on the moment that David went to slay the giant, he was on his way. His dad sent him a message or with some food. Go see how your brothers are and take this food to them. And Eliab and one of his other brothers were there. And when Eliab saw him and, and David was asking about what is going on with this giant? Why isn't anybody doing this? Eliab, the older brother, said, what are you doing here, David? Who's taking care of the sheep back home? He was very negative toward David. David was very optimistic about the Lord. And guess what? You all knew who David was and hardly anybody knew who Eliab was. Didn't mix for Sambalot and Tobiah. Ever heard of those guys? They're found in the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is used to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in a very short time. When he gets there, these two guys, Sambalot and Tobiah, they are critical of him. They tell him he can't do the work. When he starts getting the work to start moving, they come by and they're like, hey, uh, like even a fox, if he jumped on that wall, it would fall over. And they're just, they make up rumors about him. They're consistently negative. And, and so they're trying to tear him down and he doesn't pay any attention to their negativity. He continues to focus on the Lord. And he, I think he even says, I, I'm doing a great work and I can't come right, down right now to deal with you. And so he keeps focused on in the sense, in the, in the midst of negativity, he keeps his eyes on the Lord and he rebuilds the wall. And we know about Nehemiah um, and how it was, um, it worked out for him. And so the point is uh, success and negativity will not work for you either. And negativity will come and it will impact you and it will try to get you to be negative. It will try to get you to get discouraged. There will be negative people around you. There are negative people in the world. I remember, man, in my first church, this is only my second church, but then my first church, man, starts growing kind of like what we are, man. It starts filling up the existing sanctuary. We got to make plans to kind of be mobile and, and set up and tear down in our gym. And I, I cast vision about how we can do this, man. We could, we could move worship out to the gym and and, and set up and tear down every week. And I had all this, was, we, you know, we, all these cool things. I was so excited, young 30-year-old guy. And, and man, the guy in the back row, he stood up and said, I'm against it. And I was like, and he's, this guy is like one of the leaders in the church. And I was like, wow, man, I can't. And I, I, I do my thing. And fortunately, the church goes ahead and, and it passes. This guy, when I would preach like I'm preaching right now, he would sit at the back and he would make faces at me. I just preach harder. No. <laughs> and so, and so like, um, so here's the, here's the cool thing though, is I just stayed focused on the Lord. I knew what the Lord called me to do, man. I kept my eyes on Jesus. And over the years, my influence just kept going higher and higher and his just kept going. It got to the point where it was, ah, that's just him talking. 
<laughs> Nobody even pay attention to him. And he did have a position of, of leadership that if he'd have been optimistic about, he could have really done some cool things for the kingdom. And so my point is, there are a lot of negative people in the world and negativity and success, they just don't mix. You gotta be an optimistic person. And so I'm gonna share a poem with you that I've um, gone to frequently. It's one of my favorite poems ever. You may have heard it, um, but I like to share it with you today. Two frogs fell into a can of cream, or so I've heard it told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, said number one. Tis fate, no helps around. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, sad world. And weep still, he drowned. But number two of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise. The while he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes. I'll swim a while, at least he said, or so it has been said. It wouldn't really help the world if one more frog was dead. An hour or two he kicked and swam, not once he stopped to mutter. He kicked and swam and swam and kicked and hopped out via butter. Huh? Yeah. Oh, it's such a nice frog. <laughs> See, the positivity, like, if we could just be optimistic, and our vision plays a huge role in that for us, is we had a vision for our lives. When God called Abraham, he said to him, look up into the sky and number the stars. And Abraham was looking into the sky and numbering the stars, and the Lord says, which was an impossible task, he says, so shall the number of your descendants be. And we are the descendants of Abraham through the Messiah. Like we are descendants of that promise, that seed of Abraham. And what I love about that is that every time Abraham looked into the sky, he was reminded of the vision that God gave him. And that's what we have to do is we have to have a vision. And I can look back to the time when I was uh, 22 years old. I know, like right now, in my mind, I know where I was standing. I know which direction I was looking. I know what the floor looked like, the color of the carpet, everything. I know exactly where I was at when the Lord really birthed the vision that he had for me in my life. And I look back to that often, even today, as recently as this past week, I was talking to the Lord, and I would just go back to that vision and, and that optimism and faith in what Christ has called me to do has gotten me through a lot of difficult times in life. And so as the guys come, I want to just share with you, living life to the fullest is all about ba balancing faith over foolishness. And so we have faith in the Lord, and we trust what he's called us to do. And we look and we go, sometimes it'll be a fr frightening to do some of the things the Lord asks us to do. We don't have all the answers, but it won't be foolish. And so like when we're, you know, we, we take some of these things and we go, man, is the Lord calling me into this by faith? Maybe you're in a relationship and you're like, well, I, you know, I really like this person. I don't know. Well, if you have surrounded yourself with some people who know and love the, the word and you have authentic relationships of people who will speak truth into your life, you can go to a multitude of counselors and say, man, I, I really feel like this, this girl is the one. And I, I'm thinking about, and they begin to ask you some questions and, and probe a little bit. And, 
And they're like, yeah, man, it sounds like, that sounds like a great plan. She sounds like a great girl. Or, and and you you go forward and you go, man, in faith, I'm gonna believe this is the one the Lord has supplied to me. But if you go and they're like, man, tell me a little bit about her faith. Well, she grew up different than we did, but I know she believes. Well, you come to me with that, I'm gonna say, man, you need to end that relationship right now. You say, it's foolish for you to be in that relationship. That's a counselor speaking into your life. Say, well, why? I really like her. Well, I know you really like her, but you don't know as much as I know right now. You say, well, why don't I know as much? Because you haven't been around and lived as much as I have, and you don't know the pain that is gonna hit your life in a few years. And I'm telling you, if don't, don't do that. Like, wait for, if that person is really serious about you, if, if you in this relationship, they'll get serious about Jesus. And I wanna find a person in my life who's more serious about Jesus than they are about me. That's the secret sauce to Abby and I's marriage. She loves Jesus more than she does Jimmy. And I love Jesus more than I do her so that I can love her to the best of my ability. And, and, and so like that's the difference between faith and foolishness is faith is listening to what God is showing you. Even when you're afraid, you step into it. And foolishness is ignoring what God is showing you. And we wanna be people of faith and we can live life to the fullest. And so I send you out, class of 2023, and all of us of OPCC, let us go and live life to the fullest with the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the word and how it speaks to us. We thank you for the young people of our church, Lord. I'm, I'm excited about what you're doing in their lives, Lord. I've been fortunate to meet with several of them. I, I'm hopeful, Lord, about how they're gonna just invest in the things of the kingdom over the next um, few decades of their lives. And I'm, I'm excited, Lord, for the kingdom of Christ. And I pray for your blessing upon them. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would um, have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we would surrender our will to you and walk out our obedience in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As you remain in a spirit of prayer, there are people here at the front to pray with you. If you'd like someone to pray with you about a decision you're struggling with or about some wisdom or about anything in your life, I want to invite you to come and pray um, and uh, Just listen and surrender to where the Lord is asking you to surrender this morning. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.